We're live. Blue Coyote Podcast. We got KK Brown here, vice president of the Lander Bass Fishing Team, collegiate angler. How's it going today, Brother? Angler, it's, uh, it's going great. Uh, let me introduce myself, you know, properly. I'm Caleb James Brown, I'm younger brother to Colby Brown, the Blue Coyote. Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, I'm pumped to be here, man. It's great Good. to be on today. Yeah, thanks. I'm so really looking forward to this. It's uh, it's fun. Definitely. Really glad, fun. glad we got it's this cool. going while you're home, dude. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just laying some backstory, a lot of achievements in the bass arena, but um, it all started for you way back in the day, man, right? Yeah. Like as long as I can remember. Yeah, bass fishing. It up. Fishing um, really consumed my life from a young age. I mean, it really all started, you know, when our grandfather would take us fishing, you know, and when I was, the, you know, preschool, four, five years old, even younger maybe, taking us pond fishing and stuff, and just I really got bit by the bug and it just ran from there and it progressed you know just from pond fishing i'm learning as much as possible soaking it all up like a sponge and it's really just progressed and you know and then as i got older i just went into you know bass fishing primarily and just the whole world of bass fishing was really interesting to me and the competition side of everything and how big of an industry it is and i just really wanted to be a part of it in every way possible and then i got involved um, with some older gentlemen who were serious about it and they taught me a lot and then i was introduced to this man by the name of Ed Masuko, who was the president of the Cheshire County Bassmasters from Keene, New Hampshire. It's a club of guys who fish tournaments on the weekends, and they get together, and they do it for fun. They're all old and retired, but it was really where I got my first taste of the tournament scene and really helped me grow as an angler and get to where I need to be and get my fundamentals right to go out and challenge myself. Right, so that kind of learning from those guys, getting into that around when you were 12, um, that's when it got competitive. Yeah, that's when it started getting competitive, like 7th grade. Yeah, beginning of middle school is when I really got serious about it, and I decided this is what I want to do, and then I realized about that time, I mean, that was 2013, maybe, 2012, when I got real serious about it, and at that point, there had already been college fishing and everything, and, you know, high school fishing was taking off across the country, and the southern states were, you know, where it was primarily going on, because the outdoor culture down there and everything is wicked big. Right. And um, my goal from middle school up was I just want to go to college to fish on the team, and... Um, yeah, and you're doing it, man. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm this living the kind dream, of, right, dude? Like, even <clears throat> you know, I know a bit about it from you guys and everything. But of course, like, what a lot of people don't get is that like fishing itself could be competitive, right? Because yeah. like people, you know, the person just getting introduced to you, you're like, okay, you throw out the line and maybe you get something, maybe you don't. But like, could you tell us like a little bit about that? Like, what what does it take to catch a bass and not another kind of fish? You know, yeah, how do you so, hone in on that? So it's honestly a learned thing. And it has to do a lot with knowledge and research and resources that you can gain to learn the knowledge about bass and how they act and what they do. And um, it's really taken me a long time to figure out, you know, how to become consistent at it and good at it. And a lot of it comes down to fish knowledge, knowledge of the ecosystems that they live in, what they eat, and how to present it to them. And it takes a lifetime to really figure out you know, what certain bait to use on this certain day with, you know, these certain conditions at this water temperature. And the fish are really keyed in on water temperature. You know, they have a spawn season in the spring. They go for the oxygen in the summer. In the fall, you know, they go to feed before the winter when they're most docile and go to the deep water in the winter. And um, for me, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, it's just luck and everything. Well, I fish bass tournaments all across the country for collegiate bass, uh, FLW College Series. Um, I fished the Clemson Trail in the fall in South Carolina, some local things. And I also fish, you know, local opens and stuff. I fish a couple BFLs every year. 
Um, looking to fish the opens in coming years and stuff like that. I just got back from Florida. I was at the Bassmaster College Series National Championship. And uh, the National Championship for Bassmaster is really what I shoot for in the Bassmaster College Series is the top tier of collegiate bass fishing for college anglers and for anglers of our, you know, the college age. Um, and that's really what it's all about for me is fishing the Bassmasters and doing well at the Bassmasters and trying to, uh, you know, really make a name for myself in the sport. And I've done decently so far at this rate, you know, freshman year of college, I qualified for the Bassmaster uh, College Series National Championship by actually winning the um, South Carolina Bass Nation in-state qualifier tournament for college teams. I think there was about 75 teams there, so that equates to 125 college anglers, and I won it. Nice, man. Um, so how does that tournament go down? Are you in two-man boats? So, yeah, and- so it's uh, two dudes per boat. You fish yeah. as a team. Your best five fish, 12 inches or better. That tournament was actually 14 inches or better because the regulations on Lake Murray in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Good right. lake. And um, so there's two-man teams. Each team's in a boat. And um, we had 22 pounds. We had 22.05 for our best five fish with one almost over seven pounds. And uh, we took home the win that day, and it was uh, something I'll never forget. It was awesome. Yeah, I was fishing my buddy Drew Pridgen. Good kid. Got Drew a nice one. Yeah, yeah shout out to the team. Yep. Yep. Drew's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was a big moment for me. That was my probably my most uh, recognizable one thus far. Okay, yeah. Um, that was a pretty good one for me. Was this one broadcasted? I know you've like you've been on TV. Um, yeah, so when yeah. I fished the Bassmasters, uh, the College Series, and the FLW College Series. Those, li- those uh, weigh-ins where you weigh in your fish at the scales at the end of the day, those are live broadcasted on the internet. Those are streamed. And uh, the national championship I was just at for Bassmaster was filmed and made into like one, to like a, a show that was right. filmed. I mean, I did not have a great finish there. Florida is my arch nemesis in bass fishing. Is it really? Yeah, I don't yeah. ever really do well. Excuse me. But you were just saying that that's the tournaments in Florida are where you want to get. Is that kind of the big? Yeah. The big so that dogs? was the national championship. Yeah. These tournaments for Bassmaster, you know, every year the schedule is different, and they travel across the country. It could be from California okay. to Maine. It could be from Washington to Florida, and anywhere in between. They host this, it. Yeah. This year places. we had Alabama, Texas, South Carolina, and Kentucky on the schedule. Wow. So you've done some traveling too, yeah, because of this. Some, yeah. Oh, you do a lot of traveling. Cra- yeah. Travel across the country. You know, miss a lot of school, but. Professors are uh, pretty lenient with letting right. us go and stuff, and especially if you do it right and you're responsible and you don't use it as yeah. an excuse to get out of class. and Like Friday Night Lights, but for, for bass. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what it is, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been a great ride this far in college, and I'm, uh, like you said, I'm the vice president of the team. I was elected. We're a student-ran organization, even though we're called a team, and we have a varsity logo and everything. Uh, the school likes to... Uh, take credit for our accomplishments but doesn't give us any money or anything oh, okay. really so yeah it's all comes out of pocket or this year we uh really got on our fundraising and stuff the team's under new management this year and uh me and my good friend ross paris took over as president and vice president he's the president and uh we got some good sponsors um palmetto boat center up in spartanburg there they're great helps yeah. out a lot cs motorsports um that's Britt myers that's his shop it's an awesome custom car shop and all our other sponsors, they really do a big part with helping us out with money. They're awesome. And, um, yeah, and so a lot of our money comes from fundraising, too. We do yeah. uh, we host tournaments for local anglers to come and fish. And, you know, we take a certain percentage of the entry fee to that tournament and pay back out to the anglers 
you know, right. incentive money for winning and everything like that. So you guys are kind of, through everything that you're doing, you're kind of making it, trying to get it more recognized by the school. And yes. like a real That's our biggest solid sport. Yeah, this year I've been really on the school and I work at the office and enrollment management up there with a lot of, you know, people are high up at the school, so I... You know, I don't have any pull really, but I get to talk to these people and uh, right. you can put my voice out there and stuff. And yeah, I try to talk. And uh, we're looking to just, you know, there's a lot of other big schools out there. You know, the big names like Bryan College, Bethel, Auburn, Blue Mountain College, uh, even Clemson. You know, everything's paid for. They've got team credit cards and boats and all this yeah. other stuff. Adrian College, you know, rap boats and all this other stuff. But we do really well for what we have and we really make it work just through skill honestly that's what it comes down to we're ranked 34th in the nation out of 300 and something teams right now yeah and you're a small school and we're a very small school yeah. we only have 4,000 undergraduates and our team only has like a 28 kid roster right so no it's big things man it's like it can be it's such a constructive thing too oh it's great like, man. yeah the outdoors really saves a lot of people and really I mean for me personally it's just been what's kept me going that's yeah. all that's all i have you know what i mean right dude yeah without fishing without hunting i'm a big avid outdoors and you know hunting guy and uh, without fishing that's really made my whole life and that's consumed every aspect of it that's why i'm in college i'm telling you i'd be working a blue collar job if i wasn't i'd be an electrician or a plumber or something making money yeah but instead i'm at college chasing my dreams and getting a good degree and uh i'm business administration right now and I'm looking to work in the fishing industry, you know, with a company yeah, like yeah. Rappel or St. Croix, one of the big uh, rod manufacturers or, you know, lure manufacturers and just do really anything in the industry with it. And I'm excited and I've gotten for some inter- internships this coming uh, semester and stuff and I'm really excited. And it's Absolutely, just, man. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah, dude. So that's what the podcast is all about, you know, <clears throat> like I get into a lot of stuff, but like it's just using, I've said it before, but like using a passion to build your life off of. That's definitely what you're doing, man. Yeah, I mean, all through high school and everything, my whole goal was I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to school and about going summer going into junior year, I got real serious about searching for schools and toured a couple and got into all the schools I wanted to because of bass fishing. And then right. Lander actually offered me the best scholarship to go do it, you know, just like an air sport, you know, where the school gives an athlete, you know, money or a package to come, right. you know, represent them and play for them. And that's what I do. I went with Lander University and they treat me well over there. Definitely, man. Yeah. And um, like you're saying, you know, trying to get it recognized and stuff. It's something when we were talking on the phone, you know, getting ready for this. You're talking about trying to preserve this too, of course. like in coming generations, right? Is of that, course. Is it, is it something that even though it's growing in some aspects, it's kind of fading out in other areas? Yeah, or? I mean, just honestly, with you know the 21st century and the world becoming industrialized and everything, as, as you know, as much as it is, and all these crazy things that are coming out these days, and the progression of technology and everything, fishing. And the outdoors in general, you know, with conservation and all that kind of stuff. You know, the old people would call the olden days, you know, fishing and hunting right. and all that. It's kind of being forgotten, but a resurgence in high school fishing and the, the new implication of high school fishing as like a high school sport really allows for everyone, you know, maybe you're not the most athletic kid in the world, but you love the outdoors and you were just kind of the kid who's in the outdoors. Now, you, you know, you're the one at signing day at your high school going to sign to fish for the college you know what I mean right when there could have been anybody else playing sports that didn't sign and you're the only kid to sign that, that was my case right you had that niche yes. that, like and um you have that niche and it really uh opens the door for a lot of people yeah it really does and you know the next generation of outdoorsmen particularly fishermen are really what's going to keep the sport alive in the end you know it was really big in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, between, like, 2000 and, like, 
eight to almost like two thousand like thirteen ish, you know, like a five, six, yeah. seven year gap there, it really kind of fell off. And I've talked to a lot of old timers around here about you know how tournaments used to be and stuff. That you know, they'd say there used to be a couple hundred boats at you know local team trail stuff, and now there's you know maybe twenty or thirty. Yeah. And, but it's coming back up, and the high school fishing has been awesome. You know, South Carolina is a model state for high school fishing. Georgia and Alabama as well. Their high school fishing programs are just amazing, and it's really some good competition. They ran well. The fish care is awesome. You know, and people are really understanding how important fishers are. Yeah. And what they provide for people and the revenue that they generate for whole cities. You know, you go to a place like Toledo Bend in uh, Texas, and it's right in between Hemphill, Texas, and Manny, Louisiana. It's a little town called Toledo. And uh, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's no people. There's really not a whole lot going on. I think there's one store called Toledo Town and Tackle. It's a restaurant, a tackle store, and a convenience store. And the revenue that is brought in when they have a big tournament, like a Bassmaster College Series tournament, I mean, that one tournament for one week out of the year is enough to keep that business going to the next year till we come again, no or sure. another big tournament comes. And it's it's amazing what it brings to the area and the life it brings to a lake and the people that it brings to an area. And it just, it's one it's one of the, you know, positive things for, you yeah. know, it, it's different than any other sporting event. Like, you could hold, you know, a big sporting event somewhere and, you know, people just go watch the game and leave. But we spend weeks there at a time and we spend so much money and we put so much money back into the economy of these areas with gas, uh, fuel, you know, boat fuel, um, things we buy at the stores, the tackle stores. We support local business nonstop. And uh, it's really awesome when it puts back into the economy. And that's a big thing for me. And, yeah. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And, like, all the, like, fishing license, all that yeah. money, that goes back into yeah, conservation. Fishing yeah, right? fishing yeah. license sales have a built-in tax on them um, to go to wildlife and sport fish restoration which right. is this thing called Whisper by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. And it's a great program. And that's what, you know, cleans and protects our fisheries and stocks fish and allows states to do what they need to do to manage these fisheries properly and keep them healthy. Nice, man. So by giving them money. Giving right. them money back, yeah. It all goes back. So, like, if somebody... <clears throat> so, somebody, say they listen to this and they want to... They want to go... They want to catch a bass, all right? Yeah. What would be, like, Caleb Brown's play-by-play of how, like, you hook the biggest bass you can. (laughs) Honestly, the first place I decided to go is go to YouTube. Go to YouTube? Go to YouTube and watch as many bass fishing videos as possible. Okay. And try to watch those videos according to where you're going to go fishing. You know, let's say they're fishing a pond and you're going to go fish a pond and try it. Go on there and watch, type in pond bass fishing videos. There's so many resources out there these days online from YouTube to Articles Row to, you know, anything anything you pretty much want out there. Any resource that you want to know about fishing, it's online. There's really no secrets anymore. And a lot of people say the internet has ruined fishing. And in a way it has, in a way it's made it better. It's, you know, connects anglers and everything and allows for more knowledge. But also, you know, people, you know, posting pictures everywhere and stuff. Right. But um, So there's no secrets anymore is kind of no, what you're saying. No, yeah. and then the advancements in the technology, you know, live imaging on your fish finders and the mapping of the lakes there's no secrets anymore really (laughs) and uh it's it's definitely changing the game from what it used to be to what it is now but back to you know somebody starting and wanting to bass fish the best way you could do it is by looking on youtube paying close attention 
detail and trial and error. Trial and error. You can never give up. You can never try enough times and fail because even me, excuse me, even professional bass anglers go out and don't catch fish sometimes. Yeah, it's just kind of how it goes. It's down. just how it goes. It's it's still fishing at the end, but you create your own luck right, with so. knowledge. So what were the things for you that like you would say took your game? So obviously, you know, you absorb information from everybody mm-hmm. around you, but what were like the, the moments for you where you were like, this is how you have to do it, where you felt like your game got taken to the next level? I fished a lot, yeah, like a whole lot, and I've always had access to a boat, so that's always in trial and error just every day. Fish as much as possible, you go out there, you try something new, you perfect it, you pick up something new and try that, and then you apply it to different areas and different situations and different times, and you just kind of put, put the pattern together, and that's what it comes down so to. So, it's, yeah, it's not one certain kind of bait. It's no. not your gear. It's it's the man. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all about knowledge, really. You know, there's old guys who go out there and tin cans, you know, little aluminum boats with yeah. oars, and they'll put a hurting on you, an absolute hurting on you, and you're in your, you know, $30,000 boat. Dude, yeah. They're out there putting you in a body bag. Just absolutely cranking on them. And you're Experience, just like, yeah. I have all this stuff and all this money and all this money invested in time and everything. And, you know, they just have a John boat and they're just Dude. absolutely ripping on you because they know more. That's what exactly. Like. They, yeah, know they know more. I can't, like, the times we've gone, <clears throat> I can't get a fish to stay, like, on the hook. That thing, it always flops off for me. I always tell you to reel faster. And you got to keep <laughs> yeah. helping. It's just one thing I've learned. But you guys do that. You yank, you know, you set, you set the, the hook. hook. You yeah. got to yank You got to drive that hook home. Drive the hook home. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's trial and error. It's a lot of the time. It yes, takes a lifetime. And that's the thing. That's the other beautiful thing about bass fishing. You're never going to learn it all. Right. There's still guys who started fishing professionally in the late 70s, like Rick Kwan. He's still fishing professionally today. He's still making a name. He's still splashing out there in big tournaments. He's still doing things. He's still winning $100,000 at Bassmaster Elite Series events. He's been in the game He's in his 70s, and he's still doing this professionally. What other sport in the world can you still be professional at 70 years old and compete? Right. Because it's knowledge. Not even golf, dude. Not even golf. Not even. Not even golf. So if you're at a tournament and you catch something besides a bass, you throw it back, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever... So you just go for bass? You're like, I'm don't just really... for fish and fur. Largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, or spotted bass, depending on the lake. Gotcha. Does it ever... So you're in a boat a lot, dude. Right, yeah, like I spend, yeah, I'd spend at least I spend probably about 180 days on the water a year. Yeah, have you ever? I don't know if we've ever really talked about it, but does it ever get hairy out there? Oh like, yeah, yeah, terrifying, dude. <laughs> Sometimes I mean, you got to really pick and choose where. You know, what it comes down to is picking and choosing where you're going to go based on weather conditions. You know, if if it's going to be wicked windy, and you're fishing, you know, a glacial lake that's running north and south, and that wind's blowing heavy from the north or the south. Yeah, it's probably going to get pretty bad. But if you're going to fish, you know, another glacial lake, you know, like one of the Finger Lakes out in western New York, like Cayuga yeah. or uh, Seneca or one of those big ones out there, they're running north to south. If it's an east or west wind, you're probably fine. But, you know, on a really windy day at the beginning of the tournament or just out of practice day or you're just out there fun fishing, you, you know, you're putting your boat at the north end, run all over the south end, you didn't check the wind, it's going to, you know, by 11 o'clock in the morning, it's going to be blowing 15 miles an hour straight out of the north you're going to have a really bad time and it gets really dangerous. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially depending on, you know, water temperature and, you know, you can get it. You can end up in the water. I've almost sank my boat a couple times. I was fishing the uh, Big Bass Tour on Clarks Hill Lake. It's a border lake. 
on the Savannah River between Georgia and South Carolina. I was fishing the Big Bass Tour there with my buddy Jerry Muzica, who fishes yeah. for uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst on their bass fishing team. And uh, he's the vice president over there. And all of a sudden, you know, they should have canceled the tournament probably due to wins, but we had a lot of money invested in it, and it's a big tournament, a lot on the line. And we didn't go too far from the ramp or anything, but, you know, once again, that, that lake runs kind of northwest to the southeast and that wind was blowing right down the lake going with the current and those waves fished all day up in the thing called murray creek and we came out of murray creek to come around and try to go up the lake to some other stuff i had and got stood straight up by five six foot waves and i only have an 18 and a half foot boat and they started coming over the bow and i said we just gotta go it was only about noon at that point and i said we gotta go we gotta turn around and go in we gotta try to just get back to the trailer and you're just riding low, slow, the waves kind of coming up and down. My motor is almost underwater. We're getting wet. You know, we have our life jackets on. I always wear a life jacket even if it's slick calm and 100 degrees out. You never know what can yeah, go wrong. Yeah, just don't know. It's not like crashing a car where you can just step out. You right. can't just step out of your boat. And, um, yeah, and we just started going down the lake. And then I said, you know what, i got to try to get up on top of these. I'm swamping the boat too much. So I got up on top, and I was riding them good, hopping wave to wave. And I came up over one wave. And I was met by about a seven and a half foot one. It was like kind of a rogue wave, you could say. It was a little bit bigger than the rest of them. And I plowed right through it and I watched my boat dip down into it and the wave come up over us. And I felt the boat kind of start to go down from the weight of the water being in it and hitting that wave. And I hit the gas, but I kind of came out of it and just kind of went back up. And my automatic bilge kicked on. And then I have double bilge pumps rigged in my boat because I fished, you know, Lake Champlain in some big yeah. water. So I get a lot of water in my boat. So thankfully I had my double bilge going and I was ripping that and I was pumping out, you know, a lot of water. And uh, the wave just kept getting bigger and we had to make it across the lake and they were just trying to swamp it and trying to swamp it and I was just waiting for my motor to shut off. And if the motor had shut off going into guardian mode because it got too much water in it and didn't want to, you know, ruin itself and cause damage to it, it goes into guardian mode. If that happened, my boat would have turned sideways as we were trying to go down the lake and that would have put us you know, sideways and these waves would have started coming over the side of the boat instead of going at a 45 degree angle and that would have capsized us and put us in the middle of a 60,000 acre reservoir and 52 degree water without five foot waves, six foot waves going and uh, we would have definitely perished. Definitely. That would have been it, huh? That would have been it, 100% Jeez, right yeah. there. That was the moment where I was like, yep, this might be it. I was shaking so bad out of fear I couldn't get my phone out of my bib's pocket to call somebody and tell them, hey, I'm half a mile above Hickory Knot boat ramp and I'm probably going to go down. Jesus then, Christ, man. Yeah. yeah. By the grace of God, I was just held on to the wheel and just kept driving and going. I mean, I was probably going about four miles an hour, nice and tucked down in them with my bow raised up, just trying to cut the waves, and they were trying to do their worst, and I got across somehow, and I was done for the day. Where was, where was that again? That was Clarks Hill Lake in Georgia. In Georgia, okay. Also known as George H. Strom Thurmond Reservoir. So it goes, yeah, did the storms down there, like, they come out of nowhere. Come right? out of nowhere. Yeah. That wind came out of nowhere that day. Yeah. Absolutely. Jeez, man. To somebody just starting, you know, you said go to YouTube, right? Yeah. But when a tournament's actually going down, you know, mm -hmm. where does everybody, what do you go for right away? You know, so, where, where do you expect the bass to be just offhand? So when it comes down to it, it comes down to knowledge once again, and you got to play your variables. You got to play the time of year, the day of the tournament conditions, and you have to practice for that tournament, and you have to go out before that tournament on that body of water and try to find some fish. Okay, so say it's a sunny day Yep. in Massachusetts. Yep. Okay, you know, you're at a lake, sizable enough, whatever. Right, it's June. Yep. Okay, where where would you go? So June in Massachusetts is gonna be the tail end of the spawn. 
early summer patterns for fish. So I'm going to be looking for some last fish up on their beds, mating, doing their thing up in the shallows. And if that doesn't play out, I'd head offshore and look for fish that have already gone up and spawned and everything. And, you know, that takes a lot out of them and they lose a lot of weight and they are shallow and they get beat up and stuff, you know, from waves and other fish and digging in the dirt and all that, making their nest. And they head offshore to recuperate and they get real sluggish and they get real lethargic and they just go offshore and they're not really looking to feed or anything. They're just looking to recuperate and take some time for a couple weeks out there. And that's where I'd go target them. Offshore grass, offshore structure, any sort of, you know, trees, hard structure, soft structure, grass. Anywhere really offshore. It's yeah, it seem to be. Anywhere. Okay, so I thought, I thought you find them. Say there's like a fallen tree in the of water. That they like that yeah, too, though. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Almost all times a year, shallow covers cover like such as laydowns and shallow rock piles, and that stuff will really shallow hard cover will usually hold fish. Yeah. On them, year round. Year round. Till the winter. Oh shit, man. Have you been into any theory lately? Not really, man. Just this whole COVID thing has tried to put a damper on our fishing season. Yeah. But we got around that um, by the great people at Bassmaster and the great people at FLW and all that. They, yeah. um, They're just, like, not happening. They uh had to cancel the season for a while and figure out what we're going to do to follow, you know, state protocol and state travel bans and all that nonsense and... uh we, have, we were able to get around it and finish our season safely and perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, we're probably going to be able to probably do that again this coming year. You know, probably the same as it was this past year. You know, having to wear your mask at the docks and having to wear your masks on stage and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much been the only difference with our tournaments. And there's no yeah. no pre-tournament meeting. That's my favorite. When everyone shows up, you know, a, you know, a convention center or uh, something like that, some sort of complex before, you know, you have a banquet. But hey, as long as you skip that, you're fine. Right? Yeah, I know. As long as you didn't go to the banquet, you're going to be just fine. It's like nobody was going to kiss at the banquet. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, so, yeah, you're kind of, um, you know, everybody's got their... It's an outdoor sport. Right. You know what I mean? You're on the partner with your... You know, you're on the boat with your partner... And you stay with your team at your guys' house that you rented for the week or whatever. You've all been living together. You all know each other. You know what I mean? You've all been, you know, hanging out together all week. Right. It's, you know, so I don't really, it doesn't really affect us that much. The only thing that's screwing us is uh, these northern states have very strict COVID restrictions, such as New York. Yeah. And the fishing in New York is amazing. And we'd love to go there, but they won't allow these big group of people coming into our state right you know to fish a tournament where you know i guess you know whatever your travel restrictions that you believe are going to really change the difference you know clearly not for anything except restructuring the way we live our life in society um but just so you'd say the climate down in carolina is just it's totally different oh yeah man like you come from here (laughs) you come from massachusetts where you know it's you know, it's almost like old school Russia, you know what I mean? They're just trying to push it on you, and you, but you go to somewhere like South Carolina, specifically I'm in Greenwood, and you wouldn't know there's any sort of difference. Yeah. People aren't dying. No. You know, maybe some elderly folks, I get it. You know, pre-existing health conditions, you're old. You know, a viral infection, whatever, it kills you, it happens. Not immortal, man. People on the news up here, you look at one news source, such as, you know, CBS, or, you know, whatever the one there is, uh, Springfield... W B C W yeah, the yeah local, whatever, local whatever joint. Yeah. yeah, the local one down there in Springfield. And they're like, 
COVID hospitals are overcrowded and all this other crazy shit. And, you know, my girlfriend's mom is a health professional and works in, you know, Lexington County, South Carolina, where Columbia is. And, uh, you know, the capital, it's a big area. Yep. No overcrowding of hospitals there. No. It's you know mind, what I mean? It's a mind game. It's whatever you it's choose. It's like Green, Green, Greenwood Hospital's not overcrowded. It's a giant hospital. Greenwood's a city of 50,000 people almost. It's not right. overcrowded. It's a mindset, man. It's, uh, you know? yeah. The only thing down there is you got to wear a mask in some restaurants to walk to your booth. Uh, you don't really have to wear one in Walmart. There was a city ordinance for like... Two months, maybe, that was, like, supposed to be in effect and uh, never had, and, you know, yeah. like, you're going to give a $200 fine if you're not wearing one in a public place, and, yeah, that never happened or anything like that. They just had to do it, say it, to cover their ass. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the they, agenda. you know, those, those, uh, mask laws or whatever they were ran out, and then they were never reestablished by any sort of, you know, city officials or anything. I know that in a couple of cases across some counties in South Carolina that they have those mandates and then they ran out and they just never reestablished them because they didn't feel they needed to mm-hmm. I would assume you know what I mean and yeah it's in I honestly think that the whole COVID thing is rather political and uh, just another thing to distract people I guess most of it isn't Conspir- even conspiracy it's, not just, it's just a different train of thought yeah exactly because like conspiracy or a, I'm sorry conspiracy theory would be a theory an idea be like aliens are real Right. You know what I mean? But we're just talking about the American people. Right, things that we can prove. Yeah. It's not a conspiracy that the they're trying that to... The things that affect our life. You know right. what I mean? Not some far outlandish thing about how JFK was killed. You we can't. I mean? We yeah. don't know. Don't like, know. We don't, don't care. Know. We're you talking know? about, you know, current We can things, speculate. But. Current things that, you know, are affecting our lives. Dramatically, you could say things are very different over um, a killer disease. That people, yeah. people say it's killer disease. People who aren't sick are being treated as if they are. Yeah. So that's that's the whole mind game. They, as you drive up the coast that you're going to see up here, especially, it's like people well, and just fall the, in and line. That, and now I don't know the difference here, but these are liberal states. Those are Republican states. Right. It's a mindset. You know what I mean? These are you know more along the socialist lines. Those are not. It's a it's a crazy divide. I mean, dude, you literally, I literally, like when the whole election was going on, and all the votes were being counted. We literally, me and my me and my sweet mate, my buddy Ross, there, Ross Paris, had CNN, NBC, and then two different Fox stations going, and we were just flipping between the four, and all of them were saying completely different outlandish shit yeah, about dude. what this person said, what that person said, what this state's doing, what that state's doing, because it's fucking news. They can say whatever they want. There's no laws. You can do right. There's the fuck no. They want. Well, that's people don't realize, man. Is like you're watching. Yeah. So you're watching. Right, this TV man. It's no different whether you go with the left or the right. It's like um, it's like watching uh, wrestling and going for the Undertaker rather than John Cena. You yeah. know, it's it's a show that's put on because the agenda. It's entertainment. The, yeah, exactly. It's on the TV because the agenda is set in stone. You know, this. The put, more exciting the media makes, kind of shit like this, like an election, the more views they get, the more civil unrest there is. When really it all it is is just a fucking division to divide people apart. You know what I mean? Our founding fathers would be disgusted about what this country's come. You know what I mean? Those men were savages. Those men were smart, great gentlemen. No, if it's just a look, fucking joke. Right. And if you look at the uh, how all the agendas have rolled into each other, man, you see that this is nothing that just came up. Right? COVID is just the catalyst that they needed 
to start making these things happen. And that's why if this were really a thing where people were dropping like flies and viruses existed as they were described, it'd look much different out there. We'd be living in the apocalypse, but we're not. It's just a mind game. And what KK and I were just talking about here, man, you know, you were saying some things about, you know, you're talking about how it's jamming you up with your fishing. Um, All that's wholesome and good is really slipping away while things such as shopping at Walmart, um, having Amazon, Amazon <laughs> delivered to your house, that's still up and running regardless of this phenomenon about how we need to be afraid of our own bodies and other people. Yeah, it's 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 honestly appalling, man. It's it's really upsetting to watch, you know, the country shift to a direction of, you know, be scared of a virus, you know. And I get it. You can be safe. You can do whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. I don't care. You do you, I'm going to do me. You know, I get some people might be at risk for something just like any other disease. I get it. Whatever. I'm not a health professional. Whatever you want to say, you can say. For me, and what I believe is that it's really pushed and really pushed on the people. And like you said, you know, you can go to Amazon. You can give Jeff Bezos your hard-earned middle-class dollars all you want. You know what I mean? Give it to him. He doesn't need them. You know what I mean? Pays his workers terrible. You can do that, but you can't go have a bass tournament. You couldn't take, you know, one of your buddies who's never fished a tournament who's younger than you and you want to get him into tournament fishing because a state has put a cap on 10 people gatherings. You know what I mean? Like in a state like Massachusetts, which is putting a huge problem. And directly, actually, last week, some of my younger buddies, I'm trying to get them to fish the Massachusetts Bass Federation High School Trail. And um, I was reading somewhere on somewhere about, you know, gatherings of 10 and how it's putting a problem on, you know, tournament fishing and we're trying to push for state legislators in the state of Massachusetts to listen and care about outdoorsmen for once in this state. This state is, their their laws and regulations regarding outdoor recreation are just appalling. And we really want to push to be able to have these tournaments because, I mean, we have Bassmasters in the South with, you know, 500 kids, you know what I mean? 400 young men fishing these tournaments, everything's fine. No reported cases of COVID for them, not causing a huge problem. But we can't even have a small tournament here in a state like Massachusetts that don't care about, you know, the outdoors and all the wholesome good activities and positive things that come from being outdoors and expending time in nature and having, you know, that aspect of your life that is, you know, really falling away from the American people. And, um, yeah, it's just sad to see. Absolutely, man. Because you sad know, sad to see with the the structure that they're trying to build. You know, it's um, there's a huge push to for dependency on things like Amazon, and so that you know it makes sense that you know the things where that that do it yourself kind of mentality that yeah. comes from the outdoors, like fishing, hunting. When this whole thing started, um, I you know I saw things about seeds were becoming unavailable, deemed. Uh, what was the word that they were essential, non-essential, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's really getting pushed out, you know, and even like when you're talking about fishing and the younger generations, you know, I bet you so many kids these days, you get a fishing app on your phone, you know, or a video game instead of ever getting out there and really getting after it. Oh, of course, man. It's all about going outside and getting after it. So, um, you're cleaning up an eight pointer tonight after (laughs) this? Yeah. So after this, I was fortunate enough to, uh, I hiked about just under 14.9 miles to be exact in the past two days. Uh, I'd actually be 
yeah, Monday and Tuesday were the opening two days of the Massachusetts shotgun season for deer. And um, I do a lot of mountain hunting. I like to get in the mountains. I like to be in, you know, the nature. I like to be in the open country of the big woods. And, you know, the deer have all the advantage on me out there. And it's uh, it's something that's truly just not bred out of some people. You know what I mean? That, exactly, that instinct, yeah. that, you know, that's my drive. That's my, that's my everything, dude, to be in the woods and to hunt and be able to harvest my own natural free range the most minimal carbon footprint animal meat you could ever ingest in 2020 yeah and uh it's incredible that we can still go out and do things like that and chase deer all around mountains and you know you're i was in a piece that was just over a thousand acres of mountain steep terrain and i jumped that buck initially on top of the mountain meaning i bumped him out of where he was hiding or where he was sleeping or where he was hanging out, whatever he was doing up on top of the mountain. He ran to the bottom and I, my good buddy, Josh tracked him down one way and I went around to cut him off and was able to connect with him and harvest him ethically and humanely very fast, best fashion you can possibly do. Right. And, uh, yeah, now he's going to yield probably about close to a hundred pounds of meat. Don't have to buy meat for at least a year. Right. And that's, um, <clears throat> Made all my own, do all my own butchering, yeah. skin, everything, cape, whatever I can do with all, with all of it, every piece of them. Right, because, you know, dude, I've been, like, playing around with the idea, I wouldn't say playing around, I've really been considering it, like, a, a vegan lifestyle, just going raw vegan. No. Because, no, dude, but just hear I me out. say no. You say no? Oh, okay, I don't know what your views yeah. are on it, dude, but, like, you know, I think the hunting, but with that being said, right, I think hunting is your own meat as a step in the right direction, actually, like, a step away from the problem with the food industry because 100%. it was never meant to be an industrialized dairy and meat out there you know no. i think like you're saying it wasn't bred out of you that's what it was like it was a special occasion to like take down a deer and you have that meat for a long time that's how people survive that's what got us to this day and that's what people don't realize is that you know people just find the convenience of going to walmart and picking the usda organic beef label or picking the, you know, bottom dollar beef and the problem is you're still eating the same shit just with a different label. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, all through the creation of this country and everything and, you know, the colonial, the colonization of America and all that good stuff. I didn't know you are so patriotic, dude. I'm very patriotic, but I would call myself a libertarian. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Continue. It's It was really, that was our only way of getting meat. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had your farms or whatever, but still, even those were very small feeding operations. You know what I mean? They were very small. Those were your animals. You raised them. You killed right. them. It's no small thing. To You're not going to the store yeah. and buying meat, you know, somewhere down the road there, probably in the 1800s. Everything before then, you know what I mean? And uh, it's what built the West. It's done so much, you know, hunting. And people, it's looked down on these days by organizations like PETA. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like you're kind of you're gonna come for hunters and outdoorsmen who do it ethically, responsibly, humanely, fair chase of an animal, fair opportunity, you know. And in the end, you know, you outsmart it. That's what it comes down to. It's your knowledge versus that animal's knowledge. To me and a buck on a mountain, he knows the terrain. He's faster. He can climb better. He can smell a thousand times better. He can see a thousand times better. He can hear a thousand times better. And right. it comes down to knowledge and making moves. And um, and Peter wants to come for people who do things like that, but don't want to come for big industry like Tyson. You know what I mean? Or one of those big, you know, Purdue. Right. Those big chicken farms that have 
hundreds of thousands of chickens shoved in a six by six box or eight by eight box. You know what I mean? A really small. Uh, there's a legal limit on you know how many inches you need per bird. There's some limit like that. I know that, and um, they don't care. They might come from. But, but what was wrong with what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Dude. But that sounds like to me, dude, with the fact that PETA is just going after the outdoorsmen and they don't mess with the done. slaughterhouses and the huge corporations. They do. they do. They do both. They do both a little bit. Don't get me wrong. But they come for fishing, too. <laughs> sounds like I'm just I'm just throwing this out there willy nilly. But it sounds like controlled opposition to me. Yes, definitely in some sort of fashion. Yeah, sure. like a psyop. Like, yeah, it's like I'll. All it really consists of is people who are vegan. You know what I mean? No right. offense. No, you know I know. I mean? I'm like, but you know, right? You know, I, I see where you want to go from a health benefit standpoint. Yeah, I get it. Or um, you know, and but like, I'm one of those. Like, if I'm going all in, right? I could say like, you know, I'll still eat, you know, uh, your deer if you killed it. But it's kind of, of like, yeah, I could say maybe, and maybe I will land on something like that. I tried to do it for a day. It was really fucking hard. And dude, I went home and like, I guess paleo. Yeah, maybe paleo, dude. Like, I, I made was it paleo for like couple months this summer nice and yeah. it was it was nice i felt i had a lot more energy i bet you did I had just, a lot more just energy yeah and it got harder as, you know, as i moved on to you know, back onto the college campus and everything it got yeah. harder but the summer was great you know working out doing another thing had a lot more energy yeah man i like dude i got home yesterday i made it through the day vegan like i wasn't even thinking about it. i was eating some hummus with like vegan crackers i just grabbed the bread and like i was like oh just there it is like that's not vegan you can't eat bread if you're vegan well it depends on how it was made Oh, ooh. right. If it's made with milk, eggs yeah. and it, milk and shit, like <clears throat> I hear you on that. Yeah, vegan yeah, is not a lifestyle. I live there, you know, I really try to eat as clean as possible. It's super hard being a college student, obviously, and living on campus. But this coming semester, I've made a couple of different changes, and I'm living off campus now. And um, I'm moving in with some of my buddies and stuff. We got a house and a full kitchen and everything, so it's gonna be really beneficial to be able to you know cook for myself. I love cooking. Huge cook. Me too. Man. All I do is yep. cook. You know what I mean. It's all I do. I'm a big foodie, and uh, it's going to be great to be able to get back in the kitchen and really do what I need to do. Yeah, man. That's going to be great. You're getting, so you're... <clears throat> are you moving with Jordan? Yeah, me and Jordan, my girlfriend. It's there great. go. Um, what was I going to say, man? Sounds like we're wrapping up, but uh, I got to ask you, dude, just because it is the Blue Coyote. Yeah, buddy. Do you have any ghost stories? Any experience? <sighs> man. I got a couple. Okay. I got a couple. I mean, you know, we grew up in the same house, 1776. It was built... Alexander Homestead here in Northfield, Mass. And, uh, yeah, when, when, the first time anything, like, really seriously that, like, I was, like, that is super sketchy besides, like, all the numerous footsteps and door shutting and all like, yeah. that typical Miscellaneous, stuff. Miscellaneous. Yeah. yeah. I was sleeping in my bed. And I had my TV going. And it was about 3 in the morning and I woke up for no reason. And the, I have, like, a bathroom that connects to my room and the light's on. And I wake up at like three in the morning and the toilet seat slammed. And I was like, well, whatever. you know, whatever. My TV's on static and my TV's never been on static. And you know, it sounds cheesy, like, oh, it was on static. Like, it was on static for some stupid reason. Like, my Xbox wanted to shut off and my TV would have shut off. You know what I yeah. mean? Mom would come in and shut off my Xbox and not my TV. That doesn't make any sense. She would shut off my TV and never my Xbox. She would, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and it sounded like somebody. Sat and I, I saw it with my own two eyes. The toilet seat slammed, and then it looked like somebody sat down on the end of my bed and like compressed the bed. And I felt the bed move, and I saw it move, and I heard it move. And I was kind of sitting there, just stunned in my bed. And then the blankets like lifted up or whatever, like not not lifted up. The blankets came back up from like where somebody had been sitting. It looked like, 
and the footsteps just walked down my room. Heard it all, saw it all. It gives me chills right now. Jesus. Never saw anything, never you know, or anything like that. It was just all the motion of it, and saw the bed move and the noises, and that was pretty. Uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was one. That was that was about. I, I had a painting fly off the wall one time in the hallway here when I was home alone. That freaked me out pretty good. Besides that, no, that's that's pretty much. It. I'm pretty shut off to that side. Yeah, everyone that's what else, you've said. Everyone, you've else, never... everyone else who lives in this house says they've seen something. I've never seen yeah. anything. I might have heard that story. You know, it's for the audience, but like one other time, I think you've yeah. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, geez, dude. Yeah. So like, you um, you woke up to the TV on static. TV was on static. I had been watching it when I fell asleep, but it was still playing. Right, and like you said, it would have just been shut off. Yeah, the TV would have been shut off. Not the whole. Yeah. You know, not just. I don't know. It was weird. That was the only weird thing that's ever like really, really happened yeah. to me. No, yeah, dude, I imagine a lot of history here, a lot of old yeah. houses and stuff. There's a lot of haunting. A lot of stuff. A lot of people, you know, say they've seen the girl here. Yeah, right. A lot of people say they've seen, you know. I've, I've seen the girl, dude. 18 to 22 wearing a green dress, long brown hair. Yeah. Another figure. Every, about every one of our friends has seen her. Yeah, right. All my past girlfriends. Everyone. Well, brother. Yeah, man. That's a good pod, man. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah, but I appreciate it. Love yeah. Having, I would love to come back sometime, man. Yes, sir. Talk more. KK Brown, Blue Coyote. Be good. Um, well, what did you Instagram Caleb Brown Fishing? Instagram is Caleb Brown Fishing, all lowercase. Find yep. me on there, follow the page. Nice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.